Hi, this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your April edition of Voices of Experience. I've maxed out the capacity of this CD for this edition, so before I fall off the edge, we better get started. First up is Jill Conrath, author of Selling to Big Companies and Snap Selling. This is her third of six segments, each building on the one before, about how to sell, you guessed it, to big companies. As you like to say, these prospects are crazy busy people. So how does the fact that they're crazy busy affect them and therefore affect us in our attempts to reach them? What I find is that so many of the corporate decision makers will get 150 to 300 emails per day when the average human being can only handle 50 efficiently or effectively. They have phone calls, um, 20 to 30 phone calls from people just like them who are trying to reach them, and they're in meetings just about all day, juggling multiple priorities, expecting to get more done in less time with fewer resources. So how does that affect them? They're very short. Uh, They don't want to... They don't want to have a new relationship because they're really too busy to even be in contact with their old relationships. They're, they're distracted. They're trying to multitask all the time. They're not paying attention to us. And realistically, they don't answer the phone. They delete all messages in a nanosecond. And they rarely respond to emails. And that's their way of protecting time which is their most precious asset at this point. And what I've found is that once you understand how crazy busy they are and understand how they think, then you're much more able to craft messaging that will attract them and get your foot in the door of these companies. And one of the things that I did in preparing and writing Snap Selling is, is took a look at what's going on actually in their mind. And I found that they're really using four criteria to evaluate sellers on the front end and everybody here who's listening is selling their expertise and the first thing that they're doing when they're listening to a message that comes in is they're saying is is this does this person sound like a credible resource like they would add value if i would meet with them and words like i'm a marvelous speaker or i'm an expert who speaks or i'm you know entertaining and motivating doesn't add value when i'm trying to reach my business objectives so they're trying to say do you sound like a, a valuable asset they're They're also trying to decide if you are in alignment with their objectives. And the truth is they have a rating scale that they're evaluating you on. On one side, like is alignment, like you're aligned and you're highly aligned with what they're trying to achieve. And on the far end of the rating scale is irrelevant. And there's no midway point. Either you are or you aren't. You know, it's so you can be you have to be truly aligned with their objectives or or you're deletable. The same thing with priorities. Unless you're aligned with their priorities and what's important to them now, you're deletable. They don't need to listen to you. And finally, they want to know that you can net it out because they don't have time to figure things out. So a simple message, simple messages to these people that clearly outline your value proposition and the difference that you can make for their organization, which is the alignment, that talk about their priorities. Now that's the kind of thing that'll capture their attention. I think if we're smart about our expertise, we know the issues that our clients are facing and we have to presume that this is what is going on with them as well. Finally, the other thing you can do to ensure that this is the case, you can go look on their website and see if you can identify any red flags or things that are happening in their organization or in their marketplace. Um, For example, if you just, if you read that they had a new client, that they just acquired a new company, it's a trigger event that should tell you that right now there's a lot of things that have to be merged in the organization. They're going to need a lot of experts to actually work with them. Or, Or if their third quarter earnings statement just came out and it's not so good, they're going to need people to work with them to help them either cut costs in some ways to be more efficient, more productive, or to increase and drive revenue. So we need to be aware of the things that are happening in the company, the things that are happening around the company that impact them, as well as just what we know about what we know. 
Beautiful. So I know in future segments we're going to talk a little more about messaging and how to mess, uh, present the message. So perhaps they'll uh, it'll spark their interest. So are you deletable, or are you aligned with your prospects' priorities? Are you leading with value when you contact prospects, or are you making it all about you? Important questions. Thanks, Jill. Next up is the continuation of my conversation with management consultant Zamira Jones, president of All American Management Group. In our first two segments, Zamira talked to us about hiring and managing sales and marketing people for our business. In this segment, Zamira gives us a great perspective on how to get the most out of any staff we might have, in-house or virtual. Self-management is the key to successful operations. Have you ever heard someone say, that was a big radio station I listened to. That's the big station in town. Well, it's amazing. I'm going to use my background as an example. The big station and the little station have, uh, aside from the stations that have you know small signals and you can't hear them, but most, most of the major stations in your town, um, you can get them all. But some of them with great signals have small audiences and others have big audiences. They have the same antennas. They have the same computers. They have the same speakers. They have the same equipment. The only difference are the people. It's just like football teams. It's just like baseball teams. They all have the same baseball diamond, the same 100 yards, yet one goes to the Super Bowl and the other one, the fans wear bags over their head. The difference are the people and how they work together. And the leaders who know how to galvanize them are the ones who win and make the most money. Here's what they do. First, they do not manage their people. They, their people manage themselves. They set the tone. They set the direction. But their people are self-managing. And the way they're able to do it is they, they make it very clear that their employees are not their job. Now, this sounds simple, but it is powerful. Hear what I'm saying. You are not your job. Here is the job over here. This job I own. It's my job. It's my company. I'm the boss. So the boss, or in this case, the owner of the speaking business, owns the job. Exactly. They own the job. The job has a very specific job description. And this is one of the areas where managers mess up. They don't have detailed, three-dimensional job descriptions that are living documents, not something you use when you hire and you throw in a, in, in a drawer. It's something that is constantly updated. It's constantly referred to. Think of it this way. A suit of armor is the job. And uh, on the left and on the right is the employee. You are not the job. I value you. I respect you. You're a great person. We can go out and, and have a great time after work. I know your husband. He's a great guy. I love to play golf. with All of that. They are not the job. But if they accept the offer, they step into this suit of armor, which is the job. That job has a three-dimensional color picture of everything that job is supposed to perform. Because then you can describe not only their suit of armor, their job description, but yours. 
here's my job. Now, when I was president of a, a Disney business unit, I made sure that all of my managers and all of, uh, and all of their subordinates knew my job knew what my responsibilities were, knew my pressures, knew my priorities. They knew that I wasn't that job, but I stepped into it. So part of my job description was to make sure you did your job description. And if I didn't step in and direct you and correct you and give you encouragement and redirection when you stepped out of line of that job description suit of armor we talked about, I was being inappropriate. I was not doing my job. Therefore, that takes away a lot of it. Well, he criticized me and they personalized that by you up front as a manager taking that out up front saying in our culture we all have jobs we all have job descriptions we are individuals and we we are not the job we that is not our identity that simple distinction helps you so much in navigating a lot of the human pressures and interpersonal dynamics that saps away the energy of a well-oiled machine. Performance is one of three things. I call it ACE. A-C-E. Attitude is the most important one to start with because if you don't have the right attitude, I don't care what your competency is, that's the C, you're not going to get the full measure of that competency. And then E is effort. Attitude, competency, and effort. You have to have all three. What you're saying, I think, is for every employee needs to have a clear job description, which is a living, breathing document, so it's adjusted and changed as it needs to be. And everyone, I guess, in that organization knows each other's job description. And one of the job descriptions of the boss, the speaker in this case, is to point out when other employees don't fulfill their job description. Absolutely. And if you and I are on the same team, I know your job description just like I know mine. I know the speaker, the boss's job description. We both know it. And guess what? Let's say you're out of pocket. How many times have we heard, that's not my job? But if it's on my job description that I'm supposed to step in for Bill when Bill is not available, that that's part of my job. Part of my job is to fill the gaps when those gaps arise. That my job description includes changing my job because the business needs it. Uh, that's an important ingredient that needs to be in that description, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So it's clear up front that your job description is a living document that morphs based on the demands and needs of the organization. And this should allow a speaker, the owner, the manager, to then, therefore, be able to point out places where the employee does not perform properly, fall short on their job. It should allow them to feel more comfortable asking them to do th other things, different things than what they've been asked to do before. It, like you say, it takes the um, taking it personally out of it. I'm just, I, this is my job to point this out to you, is what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and the, the, the best part about it is because the employee, the salesperson, the administrative assistant, the marketing person knows that job description, chapter and verse, when they are operating outside of it, they can self-manage. 
they they can say to themselves, I know that I was supposed to go left, but I went right. And now the manager doesn't have to say, you did the wrong thing. All they have to do is say, all right, why are you out of phase with your job description? Good nuggets here. Thank you. What are we going to talk about next? Oh, I know. We're going to bring in your expertise uh, uh, in the radio industry in another way. And we're going to start to get into talking about doing radio shows and being a guest on radio shows and being the talent, if you will, in, in the radio business. So, Zamira Jones, thanks for being with us on VOE, and we'll see you next time. Hi, this is Terry Brock reporting for Voices of Experience, and I've been given an assignment by Bill Cates to give you a lot of information and do it within five minutes. So I'm going to talk really fast, so listen fast, and we're going to have some fun with this. Three technologies I want to share with you this month that are going to really help you a lot as a speaker, as you're moving around, and a mobile professional. Number one, one that it's a technology that many people are using now in NSA, and we've heard about for a while, but I find it is incredible. If you haven't heard of it, you need to get into it. It's called Evernote. Evernote gives you the ability to, as they say on their website, remember everything. It gives you the ability to store ideas, web pages, audio, receipts. So uh, you can do a lot. But one thing I've done with it a lot is when I have a phone call, I'll take notes with a pen and paper. Yeah, that low-tech stuff, it still works today. Write that down. But then, to remember it, I scan it with my portable scanner. We talked about that on an earlier VOE episode. And you can then put that into Evernote and send it directly. Once Evernote is installed on your computer, Windows or Mac, it will give you the ability to put it in the cloud. Or that means in that larger computer that can hold it. That gives you the ability then to access it from your laptop computer, from your iPad, from your smartphone, from a Windows or Mac machine of a buddy in case you get yours lost and you need to find it. It is wonderful. I have used it so many times to put directions down or to put reservations for a hotel. I know it's safe and secure. It really works nicely. And one of the big benefits of it is it's free. They have that version. And then if you want to add a lot more space, then it goes to the premium issue of $5 a month or $45 a year. Really nice. And I think you've got some good options with Evernote. I would encourage you to look into it. You can go to Evernote.com, download it, get started with a free trial, and go from there. And remember everything that you need to remember, including your audio files, your websites, notes, etc. Another technology that I want to share with you that I've been experimenting with, and matter of fact, holding it in my hand, even as I'm recording right now, look through your computer and your MP3 player, and you'll see right now I'm holding my clear device. It's about three inches by three inches and maybe, oh, a half an inch thick or so, and it gives me the ability of a personal hotspot. Now, those of you that are techies are going, wow, that's really cool. Those of you that are not techies are probably thinking of something else with a personal hotspot. But this is technology. Okay? With technology, it gives you the ability to have your own router, if you will, a place where you can receive the Internet at 4G signal. That means it's really fast. That means you get that wherever you're roaming in the United States right now. It's limited, but it will be expanding later. And it gives you the ability to have up to five devices connected to that. So for instance, as a speaker, you can sit there in the hotel room and instead of paying 100 gazillion dollars per nanosecond, which I think is an accurate number, that they charge at many of the hotels around the world, you know what I'm talking about, you can use your own 
hotspot, your own personal hotspot from Clear Wireless, and it gives you the ability to distribute that among five other devices, your laptop, your smartphone, your iPad, or (laughs) some other devices. You will be able to use it. I find it to be really good. I've used it recently, did a program in Tampa, and I found that it worked well in the hotel and really helped a lot. In the convention center, it shifted back to 3G because it was covered by the surroundings there, and so it shifted over to that. And 3G, wherever you have that from Sprint or other carriers, it will default over to that. Then I tried it in New York City. Worked well there also, and we were able to get a lot done with it. And I find even at LaGuardia, at the lounge, it worked out nicely. So look into Clear Wireless. $57 a month is their plan, or they start at $35 a month, and they have various ranges in between. And save the best to last, a great little tool for sending personal video emails is called iJot. E-Y-E-J-O-T. Bounce over to iJot.com. You can get personal email messages that you'll send out to friends, to business colleagues, and first 60 seconds are free. You can upgrade to a pro plan for $29.95 a year or $100 a year for their pro plus that gives you a lot more goodies. It gives you the ability to send email easier, faster, and much more intimate. Well, a lot of good things there. I'm talking fast and running out of time, but I think you'll find it very beneficial. Reporting for Voices of Experience, this is Terry Brock. Terry, you never cease to amaze me with the new technology you discover for us. I know I'm ready to go out and try my new hotspot, so to speak. Our convention in Anaheim this summer is shaping up to be a great one. If you're still on the fence about attending, maybe this next segment will tip you in a favorable direction. Theo Andros is in charge of the concurrent sessions at this summer's convention in Anaheim. Theo, what do you have in store for us this summer? Bill, we have an incredible lineup of speakers, some of whom you've heard of, some of whom you've never heard of, but all speakers who have something of tremendous value for you. Here's a sampling of our featured programs at NSA this summer. We have Jeffrey Gitterman. Now, you've all heard of Jeffrey. He's written 11 books, four of which were New York Times bestsellers, all of which have been number one bestsellers on Amazon.com. Jeffrey's books have appeared on bestsellers lists more than 750 times and have sold more than 3 million copies around the world. What's even more impressive has been his ability to repurpose and reposition his writing to create multiple streams of multi-million dollar revenue. Jeffrey's process works, Bill, whether you have one book or 100 books. Learn how to leverage a single asset into multiple streams of income. We also have Julie Morgenstern. Now, you may have heard of Julie. The USA Today calls her the queen of putting people's life in order. She is an organizing and time management expert, a New York Times bestselling author. But what she really is, is an expert at branding and positioning her expertise. She owns her category, and she will teach you how to do the same. We have Stephen Gaffney. Now, chances are you've never heard of Stephen. He's been in the business for nearly 16 years, and in 2010, his business grew 38%. Think about that. While the majority of speaking businesses were struggling or shrinking, his was exploding. He has created a process that turns a single speech request into a six-figure consulting agreement. And the irony is that the client often doesn't even have the budget for a speaking fee, but by the end of his 12-step process, they are able to find 10 times his speaking fee for a consulting agreement, and they love him for it. He will teach you his 12-step process so you can do the same. We have Jim Rohde. Uh, as you know, Jim is a tremendous business mind. He will teach you how to run your speaking business as a business. He will dive deep into the mechanics of the business side of your business. And if you know Jim, you know that no one is better at this than he is. 
We have Dr. Ken Dykwald. He's the author of The Age Wave and 11 other books. He wrote a book with Jonas Salk. He's a 35-year veteran of the speaking business, enormously successful. He'll be doing a general session on The Age Wave, but then he'll also be doing a concurrent breakout session on lessons learned from 35 years on the front lines of our business how to stay relevant and effective over an extended period of time. In December of 2010, just last year, he wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times that within a week had been reposted and republished 50,000 times around the world. I mean, this guy is the real deal. He's the world authority on the aging of the population and the opportunities and challenges that this is creating. Our clients are changing, our audiences are changing, and our world is changing. Dr. Ken Dykel will not only help us make sense of all of this, but it also helps us position and profit from it. We have the chairman of the branding company that launched the new Beetle Pro Volkswagen that resulted in $9 billion in sales. This guy's a brilliant business mind. He will challenge everything you think you know about branding and positioning. We have a social media panel featuring Francine Ward, Gina Shrek, Terry Brock. We have a session with the chief enterprise blogger from Skype. We have Rebecca Morgan, how to make money with your blog. We have Ford Sakes, Lisa Jimenez, Scott Stratton, Mike Robbins, CNN Hero, Doc Henley, and many, many more. We have an amazing lineup of speakers this summer and, and topics that will absolutely enable you to transform your business, influence your audiences, remain relevant, and highly profitable. But having said that, it's the relationships you will cultivate and renew at convention that will make going worth, make this the best investment of your time and your money. So tell your friends, spread the word, and join us at the National Convention this summer. You'll be glad you did, and it wouldn't be the same without you. We'll see you all there this summer in Anaheim. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Theo Andros. The summer convention is July 30th through August 2nd at the Anaheim Marriott Hotel in Anaheim, California. To register, simply go to www.influence11.org. That's influence11.org. Or you can also go to the regular NSA homepage. And as Theo said, it won't be the same without you. You know, I received a lot of positive feedback about my interview with Dan Sullivan that appeared in December's edition of VOE. Well, Dan's back again and with a great perspective on how we allocate our time. So I'm with Dan Sullivan again, uh, president, founder of Strategic Coach. Uh, Dan, let's talk about uh, what I find extremely uh, compelling concept called the entrepreneurial time system. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what is the entrepreneurial time system and how can we benefit from it? Well, I think that the best way for me to start off is spend about a half a minute saying what it isn't, and that is that most people's time system, when they get into business on their own, is a carryover from the time systems they've had earlier in their life, and lots of times that's the school system, it's working in a job, or it's you know being in a large framework where it's basically showing up at a certain time and doing eight, nine, ten hours work, and you have work days, you have weekends, you have vacation time. And I would say that that's kind of a bureaucratic time system, that most people live in a bureaucratic time system. And I would say that most entrepreneurs, without knowing it, they're trying to create entrepreneurial results, but they're trying to do it with essentially a time sense that's bureaucratic. And what we've done is that I've taken a look at the model completely differently. And I've said, well, how do entrepreneurs, if you take a look at the best entrepreneurs, the most productive, the ones who seem 
seem to continually be multiplying their results. How do they actually organize their time? And Bill, I started working with entrepreneurs in 1974. And so I've had 35 years, 36 years of experience. And what that's shown me is that they kind of operate the way entertainers or athletes do. And that is they have game day. They have days which are just about producing results, which in our system is called focus days. And then they have time off. They have lots of you know rejuvenation time, relaxation time, which we call free days. And then they have preparation and practice days, rehearsal, practice, preparation days. And we call those buffer days. So if you have 365 days, what we say is that it doesn't matter whether weekdays, work days, weekends, vacations, we just have three kinds of days. So out of 365 days, you'll have a certain number of free days, you'll have a certain number of focus days, and you'll have a certain number of buffer days. And just bringing that time distinction that you just have three different kinds of days has a tremendous impact just on the simplicity with which people can think about their life and also they begin to notice that when they are working they're just producing multiples of results that what they were doing before when they were trying to do a little bit of everything on every day. I remember when I was I was going through the strategic coach program uh, you used a, a term called a, a Neapolitan day I guess mm-hmm. where and I think most of us experience that most of the time with, if we're not working your system where we'll We'll work for some time on a focus activity, whether it's marketing or developing our knowledge base, and then, you know, we'll do a little bit of work on on preparing for the next day or or getting ready to go on vacation, and then we'll play golf for nine holes at the end of the day, and we think that that nine holes of golf is rejuvenating Mm -hmm. us when it, it really isn't truly doing that. So you're really advocating that we get much more clear uh, as to what types of activities go in each type of day. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I called it Neapolitan time because everybody knows what Neapolitan ice cream is. So, you know, if you get one of the square containers and you take it out of the freezer and you put it on the counter and you strip away the cardboard, you just have this beautiful block of strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate. And there's a real sharp distinction between each of the different flavors. And then you come back in five or six hours and you just got soup on your counter. You know, it's a whole mess of chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And I would say that that's what most people's time system looks like, not just on a daily basis, but on a yearly basis. So what I've discovered is that one of the biggest multipliers, and it's a confidence multiplier, it's a clarity multiplier, it's a capability multiplier, is just having these absolutely sharp distinctions between these three types of days, free days, focus days, and buffer days, which means that they're 24-hour days. They start at midnight, they end at midnight. You don't mix them together, and it's hard for a lot of people to do that because, you know, they haven't been trained that way. It's not their habit structure. The world doesn't really respect this because they'd like to get into contact with you. They'd like to engage with you at any time, uh, morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night. But I find that if you're really going to take control of your life, you just have to spend a number of months, even years, just bringing this discipline back into your life. And it's amazing 
just this one system, I mean, in Coach, we have lots of different multiplier tools, but just this one tool produces such extraordinary results. People almost feel like they're free for the first time in their life. So let's, let's, get, uh, let's get a little deeper in this. Uh, let's start with focus days. What, tell us what a focus day is, what it isn't, um, so we can fully understand and start to create those. Yeah, well, a focus day is about money. <laughs> you know, that's quite simple. So, you know, entrepreneurs, I deal with, you know, 60 different industries. But if you're talking about someone who's a professional speaker, most of them have new money and some of them have recurring money. And, you know, if you're going to build a business, you have to have both new money and recurring income. And so what you want to do is that you want to have certain days that are just about making money. And, you know, as speakers, they will also record. They'll have audio programs. They'll have books. You'll have all sorts of things. But anything that multiplies you that will produce dollars, either dollars today, dollars next week, dollars three months from now, or dollars a year from now, that constitutes a focus day, okay? So that's really huge, and on those days, you don't do stuff. You don't do cleanups. You don't putter around the office. You don't do all sorts of detailed work. You just focus that day, just like an athlete or an entertainer would, on their performance for the day. And that gives you the freedom that you don't have to do it tomorrow, but today you're just going to focus on money. And I would say that the average really, really good professional speaker, if you had like 120 of those days a year, which were just money days, well, that gives you another, you know, 245 days that you can do other things with. But what I find with most people who are entrepreneurs in any kind of business, certainly I've known lots and lots of speakers, we have lots of speakers in Strategic Coach, that when they've come into the program and I look at their schedule, They'll take a phone call anytime. They'll try to do a deal anytime. They just will work 365 days of the year because they feel that they have to or the opportunity will pass them by, but they get worn out. There's a cost to that, isn't Oh, it's huge, huge, yeah. And you wear other people out, too. You wear your family out. You know, if you have staff working for you, you wear them out, too, because it's never-ending. There's no sharp distinction between on and off. So let's get a, a clear sense of what is likely to go in a focus day. Obviously, delivering a speech, seminar, uh, webinar, tell us, and delivering your body of knowledge would certainly mm-hmm. count, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. What about you know writing a book, writing articles? Would, that would probably count as well. Yeah, because that's intellectual capital. You know, I mean, I know a lot of really well-paid speakers who you know they'll command some of them twenty-five, even thirty thousand dollars an event. But they don't have those every day, and their reputation really, really gets multiplied by having them speaking to people when they're not actually there present. So if you think of the really great speakers over the years, going back 30, 40 years, right back to the beginning of Nightingale Conant and all their people who got involved with them, that their great breakthrough was that they were speakers, and they had a lot of live in-person presentations, but there was this body of work that was continually presenting them, you know, and they could be on vacation for a month, and yet they were still reaching tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands and millions of people, simply because they were multiplying themselves. I consider that focus time, if you're creating anything that multiplies you in that fashion. 
And so uh, marketing then, any kind of engagement in marketing, uh, whether it's creating a marketing program, getting on the phone, calling people in a sales mode, any of that would probably be a focus day as well? Yeah, totally. And Bill, you know, you could probably have a list of seven. But what I say is focus on your top three. In other words, there's three activities which, if you really devoted your attention to, it would produce 80% of the results, and the other four or five would produce 20% of the results. So I'm a great Pareto principle person. I just look at the 20% of my activity that's going to produce 80% of my results. And that also brings in the whole question of what kind of support staff do you have around you? Because there are certain things that you're really great at and certain things you're not great at. And if you're spending any time doing something that you're not great at, then that's a severe drop-off in productivity, and it's probably a tremendous undermining of profitability. I remember you said something a long time ago that really struck me, and and I've, I've tried to live by it as best I can, that... In our society, and this kind of goes against a little bit the the, the mindset of, of speakers and people who are into self improvement, that we spend a lot of time working on areas where we're weak, and you contend that that could be a, a, a trap. Well, it's the biggest trap. I mean, <laughs> you can line up a hundred people out of the phone book and see how they spend their time, and I'll tell you that ninety-five percent of them are spending most of their time on their areas of weaknesses. They're not spending time on their areas of strengths. And you know, it's better with entrepreneurs than it is the general public because entrepreneurs, I think, first of all, they became entrepreneurs because they tended to be more productive and more focused than other people. But even among entrepreneurs, I could still do a five and 95% where a lot of them keep trying to get better at things that if they worked 15 years at it, they would have, you know, a little bit of progress where if they just pick the two or three things that they do extraordinarily well, it's almost without effort. You know, there's an area, Bill, as you know, it's sort of the foundation stone of strategic coach, which we call unique ability. And, uh, you know, what unique ability means that there's three things that one is that you're really good at, you know, you know you're good at it, other people know you're good at it. Secondly, you're very passionate about it, you love doing it, it's very energizing. And number four, you keep getting better at it. You know, in my case, you know, I'm really, really great at coming up with new ideas that help entrepreneurs become more productive. Any day I would spend all my time doing that would be a fantastic day for everybody. Secondly, I'm a really good coach. I'm a good communicator. And number three is that I'm a good marketer. You know, I I know how to, I know how to sell. And so if at my business, you know, if they have me doing anything besides those three things, it's a big misuse of probably the biggest asset in the company. And there's a lot of speakers, you know, who for parts of the day, they're just really some of the most highly paid secretaries in the world. You know, they're doing secretarial work and (laughs) you've got somebody who could be making three, four hundred dollars an hour and you're having them do work that you could hire someone else to do it for five or six dollars an hour. I mean, it's just, it's a habit, you know, and people just get caught in this habit or they think they should or they want to show that, you know, that they're not too good because they're getting better 
better and they're getting more famous. But it's uh, you know it's a, it's such a huge obstacle to making personal progress as an entrepreneur. You know, I want to get back to this thing you said also about the passion, and that that's kind of a that's one of the criteria for unique, unique ability. So, uh, one of the classic plays I see this play out, uh, and then I like your comment on it is. Most speakers are passionate about speaking. They're they're good at it. They wouldn't be in the business. That, you know, they wouldn't be successful if they weren't good communicators. But they're not good at selling or marketing. They don't like it. It's a constant struggle to get them on the phone and to work on that. And they complain about it. They go to all the sessions at our conventions. I got to get better at marketing. Got to get better at marketing. Um, and and I guess you would say forget that. Find someone to do it for you, and focus on where you're. What, what gives you energy rather than what zaps your energy? I think there's a lot of shoulds here. You know, the I mean, just in describing that, Bill, you use the word should a lot, and I think that whenever you hear the word should, you know, you're not living up to your standards. You're living up to somebody else's standards. It has nothing to do with you. So my sense about this is, you know, I think our educational system is kind of geared to making people sort of well-rounded. And when people get into corporations, they move up the corporate ladder because they have to do everything at least reasonably well. And so they put an enormous amount of emphasis on developing a lot of capabilities. But the truth of the matter is they're only good at two or three of them. And I think that that's the big distinction between the entrepreneurial world and the corporate world. And I take entertainment and athletics in this, you know. I mean, the greatest coaches you know, in, in sports are those who figure out where a player is really good, when a player is really good, and they don't ask them to do anything more. They have the teammates of that player, you know, protect them. And I would say in the entertainment world, you know, I was in entertainment for about, you know, five or six years before I got into advertising, which ultimately led to being strategic coach. And in entertainment, there's only one thing that matters, and that is the confidence level of an entertainer five minutes before the curtain opens, you know. And all you want that entertainer ever thinking about is their performance and the audience. And you don't want them thinking about anything else, and you don't want them doing anything else. And I, I would say that that's perfectly, you know, a description of what a great speaker is. I mean, there's only one thing that matters, and that is when they're opening their mouth in front of the largest number of people as possible, and everything else should be taken care of by other people. And by opening their mouth, you mean not just speaking, it's opening their mouth through the books, through the CDs. Yeah, 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 totally. So, all right, so that's a focus day. Uh, let's talk about a free day. Well, free day is not doing any of those things. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, a free day is, you know, just flaking off. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people aren't trained to have free days. You know, even when they have free days, they've got their their iPhone or their BlackBerry or they've got their laptop there and they're plugged into the Internet and they're doing all sorts of business-related reading. or And so one of the toughest skills, I think, for anyone to really have in a very, very busy world where there's an enormous emphasis on being busy all the time. It's just not to be busy at all for a 24-hour period. And Bill, you'll remember when you were in the program that, not yourself, of course, I know that you took to this very naturally, but if you look at and remember some of the people who were in your workshop with you, when I asked them to take a free day, it was like I was asking a drug addict not to take a heroin hit or not to, you know, doing it because they're so addicted to work. They're so addicted to always being at it. But the first time I can get them just to take a whole day off, even if it gives them the shakes, 
all of a sudden they say, wow, I'm really thinking differently. I'm feeling differently. And if you can get them to take two days or three days or four days in a row, all of a sudden their creativity jumps to a higher level. Their sense of simplicity and clarity jumps to a higher level so that when they come back, they're a much better performer. They're much more productive when they come back if they take those free days. And, you know, I'm, I'm a convert to this because it was my wife... 26 years ago who got me into this. I went for about five, six years when I first started my entrepreneurial career, and I can't remember taking a single free day in those five or six years. I was always working. And she got me to take two weeks off to Cape Cod once, and she wouldn't let me work at all. And I came back, and you know, I was like a reformed person, and I came back, and now she and I take 155 completely free days off a year out of the 365. So I've got 210 work days, focus days, and buffer days. And every year, there's a huge jump in my productivity, and my team will tell you that. I mean, my clients will tell you that, that every year that they've known me, I've gotten more productive, better at what I do. I remember you said once um, that most entrepreneurs see free days, time off from work, as a reward for working hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget that you said that actually... We should really think about it the other way around, that free days are really a prerequisite for good creative productivity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not a reward, it's a prerequisite. Yeah, and you just have to look at the entertainers and athletes. You know, they take tons of free time off, and that's why they can perform at such a high level. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. And um, buffer days. Well, buffer days are stuff. That's, uh, you know, our, our lives are filled up with stuff. And so I think primarily when people first get into the time system, the way that they use their buffer days is basically to clean up things. They've got a lot of messes hanging over from the past. It might be just paperwork. It might be, you know, situations that they haven't handled well. And I, I find that people get caught with a lot of past issues that keep them from even being in the present, let alone thinking about the future. And so what a buffer day is, is that it's just a day when you give yourself the permission. I call it an old clothes day. You know, you can just wear your old clothes and, you know, you can come into the office wherever your office is and you can just hopefully work with your team, that you have a team that can do a lot of this, but you just constantly make your life simpler and simpler and simpler. You do detail work, you do coordination work, you do all the work that you can't directly say it's focus day work. It's not directly, you know, money-making. It wouldn't be one of your three top money-making activities. So that's what you do on those days. And just to give yourself the permission is really the, I think, what makes this day powerful is that you don't think you're supposed to be doing something else. Bill, I would just say that that's why, I would say in the initial stages anyway, that's why the whole time system works, is that I'm kind of giving people permission. When you have a free day, I'm giving you permission just to be free. When you're having a focus day, I'm giving you permission just to focus on money. And when you're having a buffer day, I'm giving you permission to work on all the backstage you know, the back room stuff. People feel that enormous permission, and the world doesn't give them that permission. So I come along, I say, you got my permission to do it. If you know other people who are also on the same system, then that really reinforces it. Yeah, I would say that would make a big difference if you have other people supporting you to do this. Yeah. I, I just got an email from one of my the guys in my study group who 
uh, went to the Bahamas during the holidays and uh, said he, you know, took three full free days off. No cell phone, no computer, nothing. It was only three days, but for him, that is huge. Oh, yeah. He's got, like, you know, his cell phone surgically implanted into his ear. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was huge. And he talked about how rejuvenating it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of interesting until you actually experience the freedom of these three days. You don't realize how you've been operating. But once you get a really great free day, it's such a stark contrast with the way that you usually do it. So then this this free day concept is pretty radical for a lot of people. I think the thought of being without their cell phone for 24 hours or not being able to work on a deal for 24 hours, et cetera, is, is a pretty radical thing, and they go through this withdrawal. What are some some steps, some some things they can do to ease into that or to, to make it more palatable so they can uh, make it more and more a structure of their life? Well, I think initially when people start in, Bill, the... The big problem is that their homes are very work-related, so it's almost impossible for them when they first start working with the entrepreneurial time system to actually take free days at home. And I know a lot of professional speakers, they have home offices. Even if they have another office, they also have a home office. And so there's a natural temptation if they're at home taking free days to just go in and check on something, you know, and that completely undoes it. You see, in our system, even if you depart from the free days for five minutes, it's no longer a free day. You just turned it into a buffer day. So it's all or nothing, you know, and it has to be that way because otherwise you'll never give yourself the total permission that you need. So what I tell people is that when you're first starting this, have free days, but you're going to have to have free days away. So go to some really, really great place. And probably what what is also true, you're going to have to have busy free days. And so what you're going to do, let's say you go to a resort, allow yourself to schedule your free days the same way that you would schedule your work days, but you're scheduling them with free day, rejuvenating, relaxing, stimulating types of activities. And gradually, when they're away and then they're they're having sort of these scheduled free days, then after a while they can have a day away when it's not scheduled. Okay, so then they can go away to, you know, on a cruise or they can go on, uh, you know, to Europe or they can go on, you know, at a resort. And what happens then is that they have that freedom that they can have a whole day with basically unstructured free day. Once they've done that, so that's actually two steps, away and kind of structured and away and unstructured, then they drop back to home and they come back home and they can have a free day at home, but it has to be a structured day. In other words, they've got to kind of plan out such a way that there there isn't a temptation for them to actually to go into their home office. And then after they become really strong in those first three stages, then they can have unstructured free days at home. And, you know, for a lot of people, it might take six months it might take a year before they can actually pull that off. But it's it's like building muscles. It's like someone who has never worked out in a gym, going to the gym for the first time. The kinds of weights you can lift, the kind of aerobic exercise you're going to do is going to tire you out really, really fast. And the same thing with someone who hasn't experienced free days is that you don't have the muscles for that. You don't have the emotional, psychological habit muscles to actually support that. So you have to build up over time. That's great. This is compelling information. Uh, Dan Sullivan, president of Strategic Coach, uh, thanks once again for sharing some great tools with us today. Oh, Bill, it's a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. I've been doing my best to follow Dan's entrepreneurial time system for about 10 years, 
And even when I'm only halfway good at it, it still works. My new motto is do less and accomplish more. I want to talk about something that's really dear to my heart. For the last eight years, my daughter has been coming to the youth leadership conference in NSA. She was a a child in the program for a while, and now she's actually become a leader. So with me right now is uh, Manny Diot. He is the co-chair in 2011 of the Youth Leadership Conference, along with Marina Arnold. They will be co-chairing the conference. And so, first of all, Manny, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us just a little bit about uh, what's in store for 2011 Youth Conference. Well, we're going to do a couple of things. One, we're going to do a few new activities that we've never done before. So we want to kind of bring some uniqueness to the program. I think a lot of the kids have been doing some of the same things over and over. So I want to kind of surprise them. A couple of them I'm going to keep in the bag and no one's going to know. And a couple we're going to kind of have to plan out. And then the other thing is we're going to do something community service related where we actually roll up our sleeves and get involved. It's not going to be talking about a charity or a nonprofit or observing something. But we're actually going to maybe spend a half a day to a day rolling up our sleeves and doing something special for someone who can't do something back. Wonderful. Describe just the program in general a little bit. What are the, what are some of the typical activities? Uh, of the Youth Leadership Conference? Well, the, the most important activity is the banana dance. <laughs> <laughs> the banana dance, yeah, what is that? It, it's just a dance that they do, and they've have it mastered, and it's just kind of a fun activity we do. It doesn't matter if you're 10 or 100 or, you know, uh, in the program, 10 to 20, and um, it's just a fun activity. Then the rain, there's the rain dance. You know, those are important skills that we have to learn for the marketplace. <laughs> in fact, my daughter uh, was, was saying to, to me today that we're not doing enough rain dance. We need to do more of the rain dance. She just loves it, and she's 18 years old. Yeah, I saw it for the first time, and now I've got to take notes on how to do it, because when I go back home, I'm going to show it and then claim it, because it's amazing. Right. So you have a lot of fun. You also bring in speakers, uh, some of the NFA's, NSA's best to talk to the youth. Oh, my gosh. We had Dr. Sue Morder in there. She was in, absolutely incredible. We have a new speaker, um, Kara Fillmore, that spoke to us that um, we're hoping that she's going to join. She's like doing 200 dates a year in the youth programs. So she's an incredible talent. So it seems like we just get a lineup of, just like you guys get in the main stage, a lineup of just dynamic speakers for the youth. Very giving. That's great. And and many of the youth come back year after year after year, don't they? Oh, they're, they're like, it's like family reunion. Like, we say that all the time in there, but it's it's the same thing for them. They come back year after year. They grow up together. And it's like, you know, seeing your best friend after you ain't seen them in one year. You just pick up where you left off. It's just so natural. Yeah, well, I just want to put on a little personal testimonial for the program. I brought my niece and daughter here a number of years ago. They had no idea what they were coming to. They, I guess, trusted me. And now every summer, they build their summer around NSA to make sure they get to NSA, to revisit with their friends, to hear the speakers, to do the fun. And I, every time they emerge from NSA, I can see just a little bit more maturity, a little bit more caring. That They grow in that short period of time. They really do grow. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I learned, because this is you know still new to me, that some of these kids give up summer camps, basketball camps, activities during the summer because they do not want to miss the four or five days they're here with their closest friends around the world. Well, Manny Diot, thank you for the service to NSA and our youth. Uh, thanks for being on VOE. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. The Youth Leadership Conference runs concurrent with the NSA Summer Convention. The dates are July 30th through August 2nd in Anaheim, California. To register, go to www.influence11.org. That's influence11.org. 
Look for the quick link labeled Youth Program. If you have one or more children ages 10 through 17, I urge you to bring them with you to NSA this year. Your children will have both a fun and rewarding experience learning how to make good choices in life. I just can't say enough good things about the NSA Youth Leadership Conference. With me today for Voices of Experience is Nancy McKay. She's the president of McKay & Associates. Nancy has a remarkable speaking, coaching, and consulting business. She brings in yearly revenues of over a million dollars just in consulting and coaching, and that doesn't include her handsome speaking fees. She also runs eight CEO coaching forums across Canada, and she's the co-author with NSA member Alan Weiss of the book The Talent Advantage, How to Attract and Retain the Best and the Brightest. So, Nancy McKay, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thanks, Bill. So, how did you become a million-dollar consultant? What was the path? You know, who were your mentors? Uh, you know, what decisions did you make along the way, etc.? Well, I think the best decision I made was I went to an NSA conference in Phoenix about five years ago, and I attended uh, one of Alan Weiss's workshops on million-dollar consulting. And I sat in his workshop, and I thought to myself, if I work with this guy. I, too, will become a million-dollar consultant, and that was the beginning of my journey uh, working with Alan very, very closely uh, to learn his uh, methods and to become a million-dollar consultant. So tell me a little more about this evolution. You you went to NSA. You said, oh, I've done a little consulting, but now I've seen this guy who's got this body of information to help me become a million-dollar consultant. What are some of the things you did moving off of that and, and some decisions you made along the way? I think the first decision I made was that I'd set that goal to be a million-dollar consultant, and I thought it would be a 10-year goal. And I, fortunately, in working with Alan, it really, I was able to accomplish it in the first 18 months. And the shift I really made was to really honoring that value-based billing and focusing on client outcomes and objectives, and everything you do is really about helping the client move their business forward and then the toolkit follows. That was a fundamental shift I made as a result of adopting that methodology. And then just, uh, I was fortunate at the time that the economy was a very strong economy. So learning the toolkit and applying it and, and really being relentless around focusing on client outcomes uh, versus methodologies was fundamental to uh, making that work. So are you saying that a lot of consultants are more caught up in, and maybe that's not the right word, but in the methodologies and therefore don't have enough client focus? And that, that's where I was five years ago. It was all about the tools and methodologies and the PowerPoints and your expertise. And Alan really helped me shift to, it's really not about that. It's about really understanding what are the client's objectives? How would they measure success? What's the value that is going to be most impactful for them? And once you shift to that mindset, then everything becomes about the client, and then clients think that uh, you know they can't live without you. Well, apparently some of your clients can't, which is great. So let's let's keep going with this evolution uh, of your your practice. How did you start to acquire clients, and how did you present yourself to these prospective clients? In the early days when I started working with Alan, I had very few clients because I'd been a professor and I resigned and decided to go full time in consulting, and so it was just. Uh, asking for referrals and talking to every single person I knew uh, to attract new clients. And uh, once I started to build some momentum with clients and did everything I could to collect testimonials and build my brand, then you know the momentum started to build and then I had more and more people uh, coming to me, hearing about me and, and wanting to work with me. 
So would you say that even early on in your uh, consulting business that word of mouth and referrals uh, was instrumental in in this uh, obviously very uh, fast growth? Well, uh, yeah, I learned very early on that uh, referrals and asking for referrals and really getting good at asking for referrals was the key to my success. I remember asking Alan of all the methods and tools, uh, what's the fastest way for me to grow my consulting practice? And he said, asking for referrals. And so that was early days. And Bill, of course, that's how you and I got connected is I realized that mastering the referral process was the key to my success and I believe any professional services firms. And so uh, that's been really, really important in terms of accelerating the growth of my business. And one thing uh, certainly I know about the referral process is that you can ask referrals all you want or hope to get referrals all you want, uh, but you won't unless you're referable. So clearly you were doing some things very early on that made you referable. I guess part of it was this client focus, but tell me more about that. Tell me in your consulting, you know, how do you get your clients to, to, to get the most out of working with you? Tell me a little bit about how you work with them and, and how you build uh, that value for them and then, of course, for you so quickly. Well, I think it's really about listening. 80% of the time, it's about listening to really what the client's needs are, what their objectives are, what are their key issues and challenges, and how can you help them in any way you can. And if you can't help them, who can you refer to them that you really trust that is going to help the client be successful? And also not taking bad business in a sense of not saying yes to uh, consulting assignments or opportunities that really don't fit your strengths and your areas of expertise and what you can contribute. And early on in uh, your consulting business, I guess there could be a temptation to take on uh, clients that don't fit just to get some dollars in. Yeah, and that's a huge mistake that at least the consultants and coaches that I've mentored made early on and continue to make. And so it really is about setting those boundaries and knowing who you are and making sure that you're going to really contribute significant value to the client. And if it's not you, then build a network of people that can help your clients so that you're always serving the client's best interests. So your speaking is primarily a marketing tool, although I know you do get paid and you get paid pretty well for it. Talk about that. Yeah, it has been primarily a marketing tool up until this past year uh, because Ellen and I published our book and now uh, I'm in uh, a much more proactive strategy. I've signed up with the Speakers Bureau here in Canada, the National Speakers Bureau, and so now speaking is becoming a much bigger part of my goals around building a business around speaking. So from a, a marketing tool, it's become now a revenue stream and remains a marketing tool. Absolutely. Finally, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of your body of knowledge. You know, you've written a book with Alan, The Talent Advantage, How to Retain, I'm sorry, How to Attract and Retain the Best and the Brightest. Tell me a little bit how your body of knowledge, where it started, what your expertise was, and how, if at all, it's evolved into what you what you speak about, what you coach about, what you consult about. It started when I was a university professor, and I taught executive programs, and I taught topics such as leadership and strategy and organizational development, and I was already developing a body of knowledge through my academic background. And then once I went full-time into consulting, I started up my own company 10 years ago, but it was just a part-time business. And then five years ago, when I went full-time in the company and quit my job as a university professor, that's when I started to realize that 
the uh, toolkit for consultants, the broader the toolkit is, the better. And so I originally thought, well, you know, I'll focus on uh, being a great coach and doing teamwork. And then I realized very quickly that clients need a lot more than just coaching and teamwork. They need help with strategy. They need help with leading change. They need help with leadership development. And so uh, succession planning and, and all of these areas of expertise that are interrelated. And so as I evolve with my client base, I continue to invest in my own professional development, uh, reading books, taking courses and programs to continue to get better and better at all the various consulting tools that uh, I've been able to accumulate over the past 15 years. Is your speaking as broad as that, or have you narrowed your speaking topic a little bit? Since we uh, published the book, uh, the book really is the reason why I believe I got uh, accepted into the, invited to partner with the uh, National Speakers Bureau here in Canada. And so, and the advice I got from Perry Goldsmith, who's the CEO, is let's focus your keynote and workshops on the talent advantage. And so now I've really narrowed, and that's the focus of my speaking. And so that's your speaking brand is the talent advantage, but then you have this incredible depth. And when people meet you through the talent advantage speech, uh, they obviously want to know more and they want to learn about that. And then all of a sudden they find out that they, that you have another, uh, that you have a huge depth in other areas. Is that kind of how it goes? Well, and the talent advantage really is a, really includes just about all of my consulting tools in there because in the talent, to me, the talent advantage is about people strategies for competitive advantage. And so you need to be strategic as an organization. You need to have a great team. You need to make sure you have the ability to attract and retain and develop top talent. And and you need to be able to have a succession plan. And you need to be able to... So all the consulting tools are really described in, in that book. And so when I do my keynotes, I, it's, there's a bunch of topics within that. And then people are in the audience and they hear while I'm telling stories about succession planning or strategy or leadership development or what have you. And that's how people see that that's my uh, area of expertise is all these areas. So when you speak, you make sure that you have concrete examples, stories of, uh, you know, real life things of CEOs with whom you've been working and showing the results or the, the challenge they had and then the results they produced from working with you. So it sounds like it's a, it's a very meaty talk that the attendees get a lot of value from, but it really does sell you at the same time. Yeah, and I, you know, I talk about co- companies that I haven't worked with and their successes and their failures, and I do take a lot, uh, talk a lot about stories about my clients, their successes, their failures, and so that others can learn through those stories. And the, the other point I was going to make is that was the other fundamental key decision I made uh, early on when I started working with Alan is that I would work with CEOs and executives and board members and that that was the niche t- uh, target area because I wanted to make the biggest contribution and the highest impact in the work that I did. So I set that att- intention early on that and, and it's really a best fit client group for me and my style and and uh, you know the contribution I want to make to organizations. Nancy, let me ask you one final question. The relationship or balance between your body of knowledge, being really good at being a consultant and being a good speaker versus marketing, sales, promotion, etc. Early on, I recognized that I'd have to get really good at marketing and brand, you know, Alan talks about brand gravity and building a network and asking for referrals and all these uh, approaches, which I hadn't done. 
So, and I actually think it's that toolkit that led to the greater success because if I was great at delivery and consulting and my expertise, but I didn't develop competencies in the various marketing and building uh, the Nancy McKay brand, that I wouldn't have a business and I wouldn't have the opportunity to work with clients. So, so it was really that uh, attracting clients and retaining clients that uh, I really focused hard on building stronger competencies in those areas. Thank you, Nancy McKay from CAPS. The way you built an extraordinary business in a very short period of time is quite inspiring. Mr. Breathing Space is back with us again with another great tip about increasing productivity while maintaining balance in our life. So Jeff Davidson, another thing that came up in your study with NSA members around creating that breathing space for life and work balance is not having enough time, not having enough time to write, not not having enough time to exercise, tasks, things keep mounting up, and we never seem to have enough time to get it all done. Talk to us about that. If you say you have no time to develop new products or no time to develop uh, an article, why not tape your phone call, for example, record your phone call with a friend, a mentor, or a client who's a trusted friend and say, hey, do you mind if I record this? Your conversation about some topic ensues for 15, 20 minutes and the sparks fly and you say this and they say that, all kinds of good ideas. When you're done, you have a brilliant, sparkling 20-minute transcript that if you type up and then fix because how we speak is not how we write, you are nine-tenths of the way to an article. But if you sit at your desk or sit in your plane seat and say, I got to write an article, that's work and you're not going to have time for it. I would think that would be a great solution to when people uh, you talk about writer's block, they're stuck. They don't, you know, they, they don't know where to go with a particular idea for an article. Get on the phone with a friend, a colleague, and have them to start asking you a few questions. You start talking, you record that, and all of a sudden you're unblocked. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of anyone, let's say within a setting with close friends, have talker's block? No. There's no reason to have writer's block either. As long as you can get talking, you will have the ideas flow forth. Anything else around finding the time? Recognize when you're at your best for particular tasks. Some people are fabulous at writing in the morning before others wake up or others come into the office. Some people are fabulous at putting together their PowerPoint slides or whatever slide system they use. Many people take a ton of reading with them on the road and what happens then is they come back with all this stuff that they need to process and they never get to it. I say when you go on the road that's when you do your writing. That's when you make your speech outline. When you're sitting in the plane seat and that tray table can be dropped down because you've reached the right altitude, that is a license to create. And that's how you can effectively use your time. Write while you're on the road. Read at home. Thank you, Jeff. Two great strategies. I'm already looking forward to your segment next month. I hope you've been enjoying the ideas coming from the members of our Million Dollar Speakers Group. I think this next idea is a great one. It's something all of us can do. So with me is Bill Backrack, CSP, CPAE. Bill, what's one thing that you're doing right now to serve your clients better, to acquire more clients, or even save a little money? 
One of the things that we've done is we've created a process called the Partners page. And a Partners page is basically a landing page or a micro site with a tremendous number of resources on it, all of them at no cost. So things like webinars, podcasts, articles, access to my blog, a way to register for our electronic newsletter. It's visually laid out. These are all resources that would be available on my website, but in a much simpler way to access them. So it's a single page. What we do is we brand that page where on the top of it, it's got the client's logo, is proud to partner with, and our logo. And the way that I deliver that during a speech is I put it as a slide shortly after my opening story. So I like to do it early. I bring this slide up and I make a hero out of the decision maker. I say something like, Bob uh, hired me for this presentation today, but in my conversation preparing to speak to you, he really cares about you and he wants you to get more than just a speech. He really wants you to get lasting value. So to that end, we put together this page, and it's a really simple resource for you to go, and I list the things of value that are there. And then the other thing that I mentioned to them is you'll probably want to take notes during my talk today, but in case I talk faster than you can write, by end of business tomorrow, there'll be a PDF of all of my slides which usually is greeted by big smiles, kind of sigh of relief, a sense of appreciation, every once in a while even spontaneous applause. And then the other thing that I'll do is I'll say, and I have a simple handheld recorder that I'm using to record the program today. By next week, there'll be an MP3 on this site as well that you can download at no charge. So if somebody wasn't here, you think I ought to hear the talk, if you'd like to hear it again. And this has help, helped us in a handful of ways. Uh, first of all, it's helped us significantly in just establishing a better relationship with the client. The client doesn't necessarily know we're going to do this. Sometimes we talk about it in advance, most of the time we don't, and they always think it's a real value-added cool idea. Then what we'll do is we send the client an email saying the MP3 or the, well, first of all, the slides. The PDF of the slides are up first. Let everybody know. So now they send out a follow-up email to all their people reminding them, hey, remember that great offer Backrack made during his talk? Those are now available. A week later, we send them another email saying, oh, and now the MP3 is up. Remind your people. And they'll follow up again and get these follow-up reminders. So when their people go to this uh, microsite, to access the PDF or the MP3 or the other tools, when they click on anything, it builds our database because, of course, in order to access all these tools, they give us their email address, their name, and their phone number. Another little simple thing that that does for us is it also gives us a way of contacting companies and uh, it's, it's, a, it's an excuse to call them that isn't soliciting business. So we can actually contact decision makers and offer to set up a partner page for their organization having nothing to do with the speech. Now we get into this conversation trying to give them value and it often turns into a conversation about, well, as long as we have you on the phone, them saying that, gee, it's been a while since we had you at our conference. Uh, what are you doing? What, what's new? What's happening? And we engage them in a discussion that often leads to other business. So, Bill, give us a, a URL that everyone can look at to get an example of what you're talking about. Sure. If you go to www.baivbfp, that's B-A-I and as in, as in Backrack and Associates, Inc., VBFP is in values-based financial planning.com slash DFA. 
That's one of the live microsites you can go look at. You can get a good example of uh, how that works. Thank you, Bill Backrack. What a simple idea to bring more value to our current clients, as well as pique the interest of prospective clients. We're almost finished with this month's VOE, but it wouldn't be complete without a message from our president, Kristen Arnold, MBA, CPF, CMC, and CSP, of course. NSA members tend to be glasses-half-full kind of people. Believing in the power of positive thinking, we are always looking for that pony in the room of poop, the silver lining in the cloud. But we also need to be realistic. Stuff happens, and we should be proactive in dealing with the various maladies that can affect our businesses and our lives. Okay, so what kind of risks are we talking about? The most frequent risk we face as a business owner is cash flow. You don't have enough cash to pay your bills. So you either draw from your savings or from a line of credit. Most experts suggest you put away at least 10% of your gross into savings and have a line of credit up to 25% of your annual gross revenues. Not that you have to use it, mind you. Then there is the operations of the business. What happens if your business gets, quote-unquote, interrupted? That's a nice word for physical catastrophe. Hurricane Katrina is a perfect example. Would you have been able to continue your business in the aftermath? Can you access all your client information, print your handouts, and give your speech without missing a beat? That's why I love cloud computing with all my files stored up on someone else's secure servers, something like eSpeakers. Some businesses even opt to carry business interruption insurance to mitigate these kinds of risks. Let's take a look at things from the client point of view. Could it be that your clients are depending on your advice and counsel, and if you take a misstep, they could legally question your advice? In that case, you may want to carry business liability or errors and emissions insurance, just in case. Then there's your health. What would happen if you can't work anymore due to some health issue? Yes, there is an NSA Foundation's Professional Speakers Benefit Fund that helps members out if they encounter a tragic event. But the PSBF is more of a last-ditch safety net. You should be carrying health and disability insurance. Will it happen to you? Probably not, but you just never know. And if you're like most of our members, you travel a fair distance to speak to your clients. What happens if you get ill or injured when you are far away from home? You may already have a business travel accident policy through your credit card. I also subscribe to MedJet through NSA. MedJet pays 100% of my, quote, evacuation and repatriation cost to get back home to Scottsdale, Arizona, wherever I am in the world. Finally, consider your exit strategy. Do you intend to retire, sell the business, or just slowly fade away? You should be positioning your company and your financial resources to be financially comfortable in retirement. Put your max allowable in your Roth IRA or your 401k. Consider a long-term care insurance policy. You know, my grandmother just passed away this year at the ripe old age of 104. God bless her soul. <laughs> A long-term care policy would have been really helpful in paying some of those bills in her final years. And don't forget to think about those you are leaving behind. I know this is rather gruesome to talk about, but write down your funeral instructions now while you're still alive. And you should tuck away enough money to execute those instructions and maybe even leave a few shekels behind for your family or 
your favorite foundation. Did you know that you can go to mynsa.org and get competitive quotes from my quotes for life, supplemental health, critical care, accident, disability income, and major medical insurance? Phew. That's a lot of insurance. And I don't profess to be a financial advisor. However, I do know stuff will happen. Now, the National Speakers Association also goes through a similar risk analysis. For example, when it comes to cash flow, NSA has built up a reserve equal to 75% of our annual operating expenses. We carry general liability and event insurance, directors and officers liability insurance, and property insurance. And we just converted our entire association management system up into the cloud. Stuff will happen, and I hope it doesn't happen to you. But if it does, please minimize the damage to you and your family by taking action now. Who knows? Maybe you might even live longer than my grandmother. Thank you, Kristen. We certainly appreciate your dedication to the National Speakers Association. So that's it for your April 2011 edition of VOE. Did you get one or more ideas? Did you write them down? When will you get started on them? Today? Later this week? This is Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on ideas will make you more successful. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.